Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Juan Luis Sanchez, visual effects artist who worked on clothing, digital stand-ins, and so much more on episodes 2 and 3. He also stood in for Count Dooku's hands, so just buckle in for a fascinating conversation. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 48, Juan Luis Sanchez. Yeah, so I I was sort of the pretty typical kid of the 70s and 80s. I, you know, Star Wars hit that point, that perfect time for me. Um, I was I was too young to see it in the theater, at least my, my parents didn't take me to see it in the, in the cinema. But it was just in the it was just in the ether, you know, it was we had the action figures and the kids in the playground playing with the action figures and it was just at that time, you know, there was Flash Gordon and there was uh, Star Wars, and there was yeah, just all of that fantastic '80s uh, stuff, Battlestar Galactica, and and things. So that was real. I kind of feel like sometimes I was in that in a Spielberg movie, like ET, where you see the kids in the bedroom, and it's like, well, that looks like my bedroom. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and yeah, so it was just one of those things that was you know it was super inspirational, and I I um, I kept sort of I, I kept the love of it through into adolescence in a way that I didn't. That kind of other people, you know, it just sort of mm. fell away for, for for other people. But I just kind of I found myself like for me as a Star Wars fan or as a fan of this stuff, I was I was like, well, how did they make it? How did you know? And so I got into what trying to you know, there was obviously very little information out there. There was occasional doc model making about filmmaking about visual effects, but it was all very manual. Obviously, it was all analog. It was all physical models and stuff that puppet stuff that I just wasn't good at. Like, or at least <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that it took practice to get good mm. at it. You know, I just would build a, one of those little kit things and glues, and it was just, it was like a, this this hideous monster that, that didn't, you know, didn't look very good. I didn't realize that that was something that maybe you, you got better over time, but I just, you know. But I was much more drawn to um, 8-bit computer, you know, Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. I was doing what programming I could in BASIC, and I was just learning things there. And so that's where I was just, I was sort of at the same time I was, going to the movies and doing all the stuff I was programming I was you know and for me visual effects was kind of a hobby it was like when you had a show and tell at school I would be like oh look there's this is how what a matte painting is and this is what a this is how an optical composite works and this is how um you know this is kind of the stuff that I just found interesting I and I I just for whatever reason you know my brain was drawn to to those things and then when I went to college I studied physics and uh space science I was yeah. interested in my dad was a physicist and I was like okay well physics seems I'll become a scientist whatever that means and uh and I liked astronomy and, and astrophysics and things so I was like okay well I'll I'll study space science uh but at the same time while I was going to to university um uh, digital visual effects just you know exploded there was T2 there was um, Jurassic Park, there was, you know, there was Mission Impossible, which I remember the first Mission Impossible, which kind of came at the tip, which I was, it was one of the first times where I realized, well, oh, this is, this is kind of invisible right. effects, right? There was a train and a, and a helicopter and it was just like, oh, this is, and it was virtual, you know, it wasn't model making anymore. It was a, it was a virtual object. And that's where I started to think, you know, one around that time, it was all kind of in the ether and I was spending all my time at the movies and I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this is something that I can do right maybe there's some interest here so i um when i finished university i i was you know i was a kid in england i i didn't 
I mean, I grew up near Shepparton Studios, but I, I didn't, you know, and I knew obviously that was where Star Wars was filmed in part, but in 2001, but, you know, it was kind of like another world. I didn't have any access to it. I had no, no way in, as it were, or anybody that did it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like your life changes when you know somebody that does thing, and then you go, oh, well, how did you get there, right? And it kind of helps you understand the path. And then this time, there really wasn't a path because people weren't, were just starting to do this. And so I, um, yeah, so so when I finished university, I just sort of sent out a resume that had what I thought, you know, and I tried to do filmmaking and computer graphics when I could and computer science and and art and, you know, it was just this mix. I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I want to I be making movies. I don't I want to be doing visual effects. I want to be making movies. I want to be part of the people that make images. I don't know what they're called. I don't know how that works. I don't know how, you know, I don't know. I'm not really an artist, but, you know, how I don't know how that works. And so I just sent out my resume to every place that I could in the world, in London, everything. I got a ton of, you know, rejection letters. But I had just a couple, a couple people were like, oh, let's talk, you know, what, what are you interested in? I, I remember I took to, I had a, a memorable call with Digital Domain um, in in Venice um, at, when they were hiring for Avatar the first time that they were looking into doing Avatar, which was back in the mid-90s, basically, uh, when James Cameron was kind of like, hey, maybe we could, you know, maybe maybe we're ready to do Avatar, and obviously they weren't, but um, but that was a, a memorable, memorable phone call, which... Uh, an interview, which was one of those things that when it was it was a disaster but i realized okay they're talking about you know or do, do you want to go into technology or do you want to go into production do you want to be like a software engineer person you know because that's basically where you know if i had any qualifications or education it was much more on the technology software engineering side of things but i really wanted to be on the production side so i was like okay well these are the kinds of things that people want to know and they want to understand and what are your interests and this kind of stuff so so then, uh, you know, after a few months of, of searching, whatever, I, I basically got really lucky. I got a job at Rhythm and Hughes, who, you know, the guys that did uh, Babe and uh, the, they back then, the Coca-Cola Polar Bears yeah. and, and Deep Space Nine Wormhole and, you know, time in the, in the kind of the late 90s where they were just, you know, the, the digital uh, visual effects industry was just kind of sucking in people from anywhere it could. So you had people who'd worked at the government as, as like engineers on, you know, government engineers on, like we had very memorably at, uh, at Rhythm and Hughes, you had a government engineer from Russia and a government engineer from the US. And at some point they kind of realized that they'd been working on like, you know, uh, programs that were uh, sort of their mirror image in the Soviet Union and, and the US. So, you know, it's just architects and, and physicists and, and uh, fine artists and, you know, just this whole kind of mix of people coming together to, to make movies back then because they really didn't, you know, it was just all, everything was new and, and stuff. So I went as kind of a software engineer type type person, writing tools, helping out the people, you know, doing the work. And yeah, so I worked on like the second Babe film and Mouse mm -hmm. Hunt. And I just, those were my, that was the start, right? And that was just, that was, that was just the beginning of kind of going, oh my God, like, uh, you know, going from, you know, in basically in 10 years from something that I thought, was you know as a kid you know as a teenager adolescent going well this is nice you know this is a hobby of you know and i'll but i'll i'll probably i don't know what i'll end up doing to suddenly being like no this is i'm actually in the industry that doing something i genuinely would love you know love mm -hmm. to do and so that that in and of itself was like i don't know how it's like i still can't quite believe that that 
that that happened, you know, all these years later. Yeah, but I really wanted to, but I wanted to make that transition from, okay, writing the tools and writing the software and writing whatever to, to doing the actual, okay, I want to be an artist. I want to be creating images. So every opportunity on every film I worked on. So babe, I got it, you know, I'd be like, can I please, can you give me a shot? You know, mm-hmm. at the end, just help, you know, so I did one shot on, on babe too. I did one, a uh, few shots on mystery men. I did, um, a few shots, uh, trying to think what other movies I, I managed to sneak in some work in at that time. But anyway, but I was just I was just kind of like it was the apprenticeship, right? I just learned from everybody I could. I would just sit there and soak it up and you know, and we were just everything was new everything was just so new. You know, I've been reminiscing about the fact that we still you know, for a good while we would shoot out to film and we would see our stuff on film and now that's obviously inconceivable and there's a whole gen you know, it's a whole generation of, of visual effects artists and animation artists that have never sat in a screening room with, with film running like seeing their dailies on projected on screen and, and that kind of thing. And then at the time, you know, episode one was, was in production. So the, you know, episode one was being made and that was a big deal. And Weta was doing Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. And, you know, there was a lot of people kind of going, you know, coming and going from ILM. And I was like, you know, anybody that came from ILM to Rhythm and Hughes, I would just be like, oh, what do you, you know, how, how was it? What is it, you know, what is it? It was the, uh, that was the holy grail for me, you know, that was the thing. And I, because I had dreamed when I was a kid in the mid 80s, I had bought the book, The Art of Special, uh, special Effects, the, the first book that was produced. And I had, I had read that book and reread it and reread it and reread it. And I thought, wouldn't it be incredible if at some point in my life I get to visit mm-hmm. ILM? You know, that was, that was literally my goal was to visit ILM one day. And so now I was like, well, I'm in the industry now. Like, this could happen, you know. Like maybe I could work on a Star Wars film, but I was like, okay, I've got to put that out of my mind because if I, you know, it's like the worst thing that could happen is I, I end up kind of feeling disillusioned by something that that seems so impossible to begin with, you know. But I can I just going, I just. How did you make that jump then to working at Industrial Light and Magic? Again, it was just one of those things where I just, I, I the first thing I wanted to do was make the leap to actually being a, a production mm. artist, like doing you know, being, you know, not just writing the tools, but, and so the first thing I did was I ended up leaving Rhythm and Hughes to go to Digital Domain, which was down the street at the time. And I worked on the Grinch as, as an actual effects artist, sort of doing Mm -hmm. snow and uh, actually I groomed the Grinch, like the Grinch, you know, there was a computer generated Grinch and a computer generated dog. And, and we, I made, I was just the one responsible for putting the hair on it and grooming it and rendering it and, and that kind of stuff. So that was that was kind of my the first step I took. And then right at the end of that, and I was just working my tail off on, on the Grinch and having an amazing time at, at Digital Domain um, and feeling you know, intimidated by all these incredible people <laughs> around me. I just thought, well, there's no, you know. But again, you know, you're just in that mix where people are coming to or they're, oh, yeah, I'm talking to somebody at ILM or they're coming here. And you start to feel like, okay, maybe this isn't, Maybe it's not as far away as I think, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's not ridiculous that it could happen. And then right literally the last sort of couple of weeks of delivery on the Grinch, uh, um, ILM was on a recruiting trip down to, down to LA. And I just quickly sort of sent off my resume and I was like, okay, we'll <laughs> see. And they, they, they called me up for, for, for an interview. And I just remember being like, well, you know, this is this is an this is your opportunity, right? This is or at least this is an opportunity. Don't because you know I'd interview with Digital Domain myself, you know, three or four years before I ever worked there, and it was a disaster. And then I got to work there, and I thought, well, 
hey, you know, let's let's not, you know, let's just see this as an opportunity to interview with ILM. And if it goes badly, well, you never know. It'll, it might come again at some point, right. you know. So I just, and I was so tired, so exhausted from working on Grinch. But I kind of went to the interview kind of like, like thinking about my half of my head was going, I've got to get back for dailies. I've got to get back for this, <laughs> you know. It was like, it was kind of like I didn't have time to worry right. about it. And so I just kind of went in there and I, I can't I honestly can't remember who who was there. I'll, I'll always remember who was in my interview, um, but they were very nice and and it seemed like it went okay. But I was like, okay, well, great, you know. And I really kind of went, I'm just going to put this out of my mind. I'm gonna, you know, and and also at the time I was like at a point where, you know, I'd gone from 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 England where I grew up to um, to the states and LA and and. You know, my family was far away, and, and my there was just a, a lot of things kind of going. You know what? Maybe maybe this is a good opportunity. There's stuff happening in London. Maybe go back to London. You know, this kind of stuff. There was just a point of transition in the family, and I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to just be like, okay, oh, this is it. I'm going to be in California, or uh, yeah, it was one of those things where I just thought this could go many different ways, and I have a lot of options potentially, and that's kind of a good thing. And amazingly enough, I got an offer from from ILM. Um, and so this is in, uh, sort of late 2000, early 2001. Um, and I honestly, I just, I honestly didn't know what to do. I was, I would sit with people and I, cause I went back to England for a time. I took some time off. I went back to England to spend time with my family. And I said, I have this offer from ILM and I don't know what to do. And, and people, my old friends and people would look at me and be like, you know, the guy was playing with, st-. and then, you know, and, and the thing was that. I was going to go to ILM and they couldn't guarantee that I would work on Star Wars on episode two. They didn't want to say, you know, because there were lots of films going on. They had Pearl Harbor, they had Mummy 3, they had, you know, there was a ton of things happening at the same time and they just couldn't commit to that kind of thing. And I thought, what if, what if, and I was like, what if you get the thing that you want and it, and it turns out to be not what you want, right? What if it turns out to be a terrible experience? What if it, you know, it's like the never meet your heroes kind of thing. I thought, what if, what if this turns out to be a disaster? It will sort of ruin this dream that I've had and I don't know what I'll do with myself. Mm-hmm. And people would look at me and just be like, you, you know, you've spent 20 years playing with your Star Wars figures and talking about and listening to music and reading the magazines and painting pictures. And it's like, come on, like, you can't, you cannot, you, you can't, you cannot not do this. You have to do this. You just said 2001, 2000. That, I mean, that's right during the time of Attack of the Clones. What was it like jumping right into that and, and being just a full part of the Star Wars saga as soon as you joined ILM? Yeah, so, so I, I went for it, obviously. I, 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 honestly, I shut down my emotions. <laughs> I thought, I have to be prepared that this, is just, this could be just a job and I have to just assume and just be professional and not worry about it. But I remember getting there and quietly my manager said, you're going to work on Star Wars. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, this is, and, and do you want to do cloth simulation? And I said, I have absolutely no idea what, what, what that means, uh, really. I've never done it before. And he's like, well, you'll, I said, I'll do my best. He said, okay, that's, that's, all, we, that's all we want. <laughs> do your best, you know. And so then I, um, uh, and I remember vividly, because they had uh, on their disc, they had like uh, on their servers, they had the, basically the the previous animatic which at that point was kind of a mixture of like 
the complete sort of just just computer generated animatic mixed with some of the live action footage right. you know some of the post viz stuff where they sort of started to do some of the live action that they'd already shot and i remember thinking to myself like i'm about to watch the next star wars film like a year and a half before anybody else gets to see it right like i'm i'm about to you know i'm about to uh, what does what does Ben Kenobi say? You're about to take the first step into a larger right. world, yeah. right? You're just. I, like, <laughs> I thought this is. I'm crossing into a threshold of like between fan into into sort of professional, and and I don't know what that I don't know what that means, you know. And I re- I remember it vividly, kind of just taking a moment, and going, my life is about to <laughs> change because <laughs> I'm about to see something, you know. And uh, I watched it. Obviously, it was like I couldn't, you know. There was a ton of like, oh my god, I can't believe what I'm seeing. This is impossible. What's going on? You know, like just in terms of like, how are we going to do this? Oh, it's so exciting, you know. And uh, yeah, and so then it was just it was just full on. I I was um, I was basically given I was given a couple tasks. I was working on some of the initially some of the asteroid belt uh kind of the 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 asteroids kind of breaking up with the with the with the sonic wave thing that was one of something that i was that i was working on and i was working with uh james tooley who was the the kind of the the guy who was sort of the cloth simulation rigging guru at the time uh still is actually he's he's still there and, and an amazing amazing guy he was he became my mentor for all of this and uh, and quite honestly, I I was I just I completely floundered on the on the the asteroid belt stuff. I was not doing a good job, and I really thought, oh my god, this is this is not going well. Uh, I'm gonna they're gonna realize that I'm terrible. Uh, but the cloths and stuff was kind of going, you know, it was going. It was we had we had to do Yoda, right? We we had to do digital Yoda. That was the big thing, and we had to do digital doubles of all the actors and all the characters, which which was a new thing at the time, relatively new, really. They were being pushed, you know. Every comp- every major company, which was five or six, four or five, you know, Sony uh, was doing um, a Quidditch match for the first Harry Potter, so that was digital doubles. Uh, there was the Matrix movies being made, and they were doing their digital doubles for, especially for the second film, and that was being done. And so, the, but so the, you know, there was there was there, there was this movement in the industry towards that, but it was still new. Everybody was just like, okay, well, we're doing it this way. And we're developing technology to do it this way, and we're developing technology, you know, and, uh, and whatever to do it this way. So it was all new. So we really didn't know what we were doing. And and I remember George just said, "Okay, well, you know, this this Yoda is basically he has to be wearing. Essentially, it's like, well, what is he wearing? What is he? You know, we've never built a digital Yoda. So they had built one sort of a, a a test model for for the for for a shot in the Phantom right. Menace." But basically, this was a whole other. This was a whole another level of, of expectation for, for this character. So Rob Coleman was our sort of creative guru, guiding us through the whole process on the animation and, and creature side. And then James Tooley, who was kind of building, you know, and and, and with me and, and a couple other people were building kind of okay, how are we going to put clothing on these guys and how that going to work? And um, and I kind of took to it, you know, I took to it and I enjoyed it, and it was sort of super technical. So, you know, the, the one of the things that people like, there were people who were like geniuses there working on water simulation and oceans and stuff. And they were like, I don't want to go near cloth sim. You know, <laughs> like, it's weird. It's too, it's, and I was like, wow. And I just, I, something about it just, I, I liked it. It was, it was technical. It was creative. It, you know, you had to be really kind of nitpicky and persistent and just keep going back to the same thing again and again and again. And, you know, every morning you would look at something and go, I don't know if this is going to, 
work. Right. I don't know if what I just said off the night before is going to look like the way it needs to look. And there was something about that that I found very appealing. I don't know. And I just I just kept plugging away at it. And we, we developed techniques for, for layering these clothes, the, these clothes and, and simulating them and, you know, and making them fit with the with the with the real garments that were next right. to them. And and it was just it was just uh, it was just it was all new. It was just all new. And that was the really that was the exciting thing. And, and we just kind of built this bunch of us that were just kind of, again, a bit of a ragtag group of people that were just came from a f- different areas that were just all like, this is kind of fun, yeah. you know? And, and, and again, it was just all new. And so, and, and ILM was just, I don't know, it was such a, it was a very special time. I have to say that, that movie in particular, I will, I remember with huge fondness, even if the final movie was, is, you know, is what it is uh, and has its, has its issues. I just, I had to this day, I kind of remember that working on that film was just kind of a golden, just a golden time for for so I mean, many of us. Well, the I mean, the prequel trilogy really defined how our current movie making is done, especially in the digital world. Is there anything that sticks out to you specifically, especially working on clones and anything uh, in terms of challenges or or working on specific scenes that might still stand out to you all these years later? Well, I do. I mean, you know, in terms of sort of blazing the trail, that was one of those things that you know we were doing digital projection of all our work. And it was, you know, none of it was going to film except there was a film delivery of the movie, but it wasn't until the very end. And we never really got to see that, you know, that wasn't. And so, I mean, that process was new and kind of like, wow, we're actually seeing our work digitally. It's kind of being delivered and, and you know, it's coming in and going out in a digital format, which, you know, obviously, again, everything, because it was new, that was that was exciting. In terms of the challenges, I mean, it was just, it was, it was for me, the big the big things were obviously a digital Yoda, which was like, oh my god, you know, how is this? How are people going to respond to this? You know, and and did we do a, did we do a good enough job? Do we convince people that this is that this that this thing that we're making, you know, that we're creating here is Yoda that we all know and love? And obviously, the Yoda fight when that came in, that was a huge one where we were looking at each other, going, oh my god, how are we going to do this? You know, what you know, what is what is you know, how are we going to achieve this? Like, what is you know, both both like technically, you know, and artistically, but also just how are we going to do this in such a way that doesn't, you know, that people don't just, I mean, people did lose their mind, but we want them to lose their mind in a good way, you know, and, you know, it took a, it took a few iterations to, to get there. And then just the challenges were things like, one of the things that I loved was the fact that we would cut between the live action characters and the digital characters. And sometimes in the same shot, they would blend from one to the other uh, in some, like an action shot, they would blend from, from one to the other. And again, all of that stuff, you just thought, well, how is this going to work? Like who, but, you know, some, with, with John Knoll as well, kind of visual effects supervising, he just, he was just so kind of steady. He was such a steady hand and obviously such a, you know, such a brilliant man that it just, uh, you know, with Rob Coleman, who was kind of this real, you know, Rob Coleman did an incredible job of, of you know, he had the animation team to, to handle and he was very much kind of George's right hand man for, for many things. But he was such an incredible leader in terms of just making us all feel like this is all we're all part of the same team. And he would bring me into to, to re- reviews with George and make sure that, you know, he talked to me personally and and, and stuff like that. And that was something that I will always, re- you know, I will always uh, remember and, and, and thank Rob for being that way. And, and then, you know, and then overall, John Knoll was just such a, you know, it was just like, it doesn't. OK, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out, yeah. you know, and, and it was all. And and he was such a steady hand in that sense, and and so it just it, I don't know. It's tough to uh, 
sometimes I kind of look back at some when things get difficult in in other films as they have you know many times and I kind of I think what I do is sort of sometimes look back on that and go well you know what did what did what was so special about what they did that helped made it seem like it was that we would get through it you know and that we could do it and and that it, there wasn't really any drama you know really I mean it was it was it was bloody difficult but I just don't remember drama in the in the day-to-day of kind of getting it right. done maybe I just uh maybe maybe I've suppressed it <laughs> but then the other I mean and then the other thing which again was sort of a bit of a the golden age of some of the stuff was that because of where ILM was and in San Rafael on the Kerner campus we had the stages there where they were doing a ton of model making and filming and the stages and the elements and you realize how these films are made which is that you know after the film was shot and put together they would you know and edited there was they would realize oh there's all these chunks of little pickup shots right. that were needed of, of you know I need I need a shot of this guy walking from here to here or I need the Jedi's in the background for the Jedi temple or we need the and the loading docks we need people walking around all this stuff and obviously this is a tradition that goes way back but they would just get ILMers into into costume and throw us on the stage and green screen us and and whatever mm-hmm. and so I kind of was like oh my god I, I've got to be a part of this I've got to do this so I made friends with the stage crew and uh and then we uh and so then when they needed like in this case they needed a Count Dooku double I was like uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so it's actually it's it's me and a few in a few shots of of uh of the movie, like the one where he goes to interrogate Obi-Wan Kenobi on, on Genosis, and there's just kind of this long shot of him sort of, you know, walking through the walking through the caverns, essentially. Uh, and then it cuts to a shot of Christopher Lee, and, but the shots before that is me in, in the outfit with the makeup oh, and everything. <laughs> and, uh, and that was fun. And then there's a shot of me at the end where he... Uh, they, uh, they've been confronting him in the hangar, right? So just before Obi-Wan and Anakin confront... Uh, Count Dooku in the in the hangar, and uh, Count Dooku's kind of standing there at a console and just gesturing to a robot. So that's me as well. So stuff like that is just like again, you go, <laughs> how you know? And we're on the stages, and they're filming a pickup shot with like one of the original R two D twos. They had like four or five of the yeah. original from the first. You know, they had fifteen of different things, and they had four or five from. And one of those there was being operated by I think probably Don Bees was there uh, operating it, and I was just like, I, you know what? There, there were so many days like that where I just thought, I, I'm, I, this can't possibly be happening. You know, this can't possibly be real. Somebody's going to come in and say, no, 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 you're living a, you're living, you're, you know, you, you've got to wake up now because this can't be. And, and I just, that's what I held on to every day. Was just like this, this, this can't possibly be happening. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was. It was it was pretty spectacular. So then, so then when you know, I thought, well, I want to keep going. Yeah, I want right. to keep. I want to do episode three. And I had the opportunity to kind of take on a more more leadership role in episode three for the for the cloth and the creature simulation work, which was fantastic. Again with James, two basically almost exactly the you know identical crew, and a little bit closer to George as well, which was fantastic to kind of see that process a little closer up and be close to him and see how the film developed. That was kind of all of those years, which is like film class. But, you know, the guy was, he was so, you know, I found him uh, so many times, the lessons I learned on those films, I they've, they've served me in the future, you know, and, and he just had such an eye for like, okay, where where is the story? Like, where visually do we want to tell the story on, over these shots? And where do we want to be looking? And George gets, I mean, I've, it's funny because I've heard several of your guests say, you know, George doesn't get enough credit. And it sounds like a funny thing to say <laughs> sometimes, but I think sometimes people dump on him for things that I think I don't think he does 
I don't. I I do think that he's he's a filmmaker, you know, first, and and that's what he's always loved right. doing, and where his passion is, and that I think that comes through. Whereas I've worked with so many other people since then who, you know, they just it's not quite the same focus, and and I've just learned I've learned so much being around him and hearing him just talk about why he wants a particular thing the way he wants it or what he's focusing on in a, in, a, in a sequence, and it's like, oh yeah, right, okay. Yeah, man, I could just keep telling you more stories about. I mean, I'll tell you one more story that I think uh, from 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 Star Wars. Again, it's so funny because they're kind of peripheral. But we had this. There was this one. Mo- I don't. I haven't heard the story told uh, by any of your guests. But there was this one moment near the end of the production of Episode Two where they had like warehouses full of all of the merchandising for Episode right. One, which is kind of famously, you know, over over licensed or whatever. And there were lots of toys. You know, whatever but they had to clear out those warehouses and make room for the for the licensed products for episode for, for episode two this is what they told us anyway and so they said so they set up kind of a like a uh, an area on the on the slab right where they normally film outside uh, stuff outside on the models and things and they just basically set up this fenced off area with like ro- I don't know how big it was have just rows and columns of boxes and and things and it was like a supermarket sweep thing where they said okay they gave they gave everybody a time a particular time of the day and they gave you a bag and they said you've got half an hour and you're going to go in here and in half an hour you can take whatever you can put in this bag and under your arm or whatever and you just go in there and find stuff and it was stuff that you know there was stuff that went back into the 70s and 80s you know it was stuff and there was obviously a ton of like the Jar Jar, you know, lollipop, you know, weird tongue, you know. So there was just like that blend of things that people were just filling there. And there was skateboards and Lego, you know, amazing Lego sets and just, you know, everything you can imagine. And people just, you know, piling it all up. And and, go, and, and then everything that was left over went to charity and, and kids, you know, charities and stuff, which is always amazing. You know, Lucasfilms has always been great about that. And uh, yeah, so those are the kinds of things you think. How how am I not? How how is this not just the most craziest? Like in my wildest dreams, could I have imagined <laughs> yeah. that this would be something I'm doing? You know. But amongst all that, you know, you're getting to make right. a movie, and you're getting to to be of 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 seeing something happen. Yoda's on the cover of Time, and people are you know obviously people are going, this is terrible. But so many other people are going, you know, and you're like, but this is the future like you do go this you know that's the one thing about about ilm is that you know and, and john Knowles talked about this many times i think where it's like you know if you don't if you don't swing at it you know you don't you're never going to learn you know how to how to do it better right. next time i mean there was a funny time like right between between episodes two and three and we were like okay we want to we've got to bring yoda back obviously we've got to but we want to improve the asset we want to make we want to make him look better we want to take technology that we've learned about cloth shading and skin shading and we want to put that into yoda and uh we actually that's when in between episodes two and three we got the okay to do the to replace the puppet in yeah. episode one so it was interesting that but that work didn't actually get like released the until yep. the blu-ray came out years later maybe or eight years later or maybe. you know something yeah. like that yeah so that was really interesting that that work had basically sat kind of dormant for that long and so if you look at it you've got this you know really good looking yoda for episode one essentially you know i think blows that that particular puppet you know for many reasons the episode one puppet i think is what it is and you know even though frank oz is obviously 
giving it all of heart and soul, but it didn't quite feel like the same sort of Yoda that we had in the 80s. And so you've got this amazing looking Yoda in episode one, this slightly, you know, yeah, it's great, but it's not quite the same in episode two, and then, a, and then a, an equally good looking Yoda in episode three, which is one of those funny details. You're like, okay, that's how that came about. Well, with episode three, I guess, and you, you've mentioned it a little bit, especially working uh, more directly with George and, and kind of growing this knowledge of, of a burgeoning part of digital effect. What was it like moving to, you know, the next project, but also uh, was there anything with Revenge of the Sith that might have impacted your work in a more effective way? Or what was kind of that process like for you? From what I, kind of a direct line from, from that movie to, to what I do yeah. now, that or still try to do now, which is to me was the fact that we were doing a lot more of what I call digital tailoring. And what that entails is kind of either pattern going, because the way that the cloth used to be uh, handled uh, traditionally, and at least back then was, you know, you would get a model of the cloth kind of in its shape uh, that it was going to be, or maybe kind of a, an unwrinkled shape, but it was kind of all sewn together as it were. Um, and then you would sort of run a simulation. You would let gravity, you know, you would run a physics simulation on it with collisions and whatever. And then that would um, that would give you the final garment. Whereas now we're going, okay, actually we should go back to the original patterns and think about, okay, what would this look like flat, right? Let's laid out this piece of fabric before tailored into place. And so and so the grievous, you know, grievous himself. The Grievous Guards, um, a lot of those those guys were built kind of going back and very it was very laborious, but it was it was really uh, really helpful to kind of go let's let's just go back to a flat pattern, uh, a flat piece of, of geometry, and let's try and like simulate this tailor this onto the character as if it, they were really wearing it, and that just instantly you got something that just felt like it fit the characters better, it fit the you know, you could sort of you could tweak lengths and shape and and proportions and things, and that's something that we still do much much faster and better mm-hmm. today. But that was something that we were kind of starting to do back then. Trisha Bigger's costumes are so iconic, and so that costume department for the prequels has really stood the test of time in terms of the costumes developed. Were you given designs, and then you had to workshop those into making them into a digital model, or was it more of a collaborative process between you and that costume team? Well, that's an interesting question. The, it was cool because, yeah, it was, it was, it's the only project, it's not the only project I've had the costumes available for, but it's the only costume where there's been a costume department, and they're right there, and you can kind of go and talk to them and say, you know, Trish... It wasn't there, but we had a costume uh, or a wardrobe master who would take care of all the costumes because of all the, and they were only on ILM because of all the extra shooting that we were doing uh, on stages there. So, so then we would have the costumes available on site to be able to look at and stuff. And I actually, I invited in the, the wardrobe, I don't know, supervisor to come and sit with us on our dailies a few times just to see, because I was like, you know, none of us, we're all, we're all tech heads. We're all geeks. Right. We're all, you know, computer scientists and this and riggers and whatever, but people don't know anatomy and this, but we don't, we don't, you know, we weren't sewing our own clothes and we weren't. So I wanted them to come in and, and sort of look at what we were doing. And, you know, obviously right there was still kind of, there was a bit of a gulf in terms of like the way we approach things. So it wasn't quite easy to see how we could cross that gulf but actually again james tooley you know was talking back then about how we would be you know one day we're going to be like working off of the basic patterns and we're going to be you know one day this 
how we're going to do digital clothing is, you know, is is exactly as if we were tailors and everything. And there's going to be a much closer match. And that's exactly it. like we get people now coming from fashion right. and coming from pattern making and sewing and being able to make up the tools and, and essentially build the clothing the way a real it would be built on a on a real person if that was, you know, um, or taking the patterns that they built the costume. If we have to recreate a pattern. Uh, that was made for the for a movie saying oh send us your patterns send us all the you know all the cutouts send us everything and we'll recreate that uh, digitally using that information um, rather than even having the final garment but honestly obviously that that was way that sort of that was again a bit of a science fiction for us back then um, that wouldn't really happen for the next sort of five six seven years that we'd be able to start to to do some of that um, and and so back then it was more about just okay well here is the costume in the case of like the jedis when you're redoing a jedi robe and having the jedi robe available you could kind of look at it and be like okay how would this work what you know how is it put together and you would just uh, you would film it you would take reference you would just look at how it would move you would look at how heavy it was under certain conditions you know how would it look if somebody's running? How would, it's just an excuse for us to wear the outfits and run around. Okay, let's let's be honest. The things like the Grievous Guards, there was that design never, you know, there was never anything physically made. Um, and I don't remember. I don't. It's funny because again, so much of the kind of the physical production side, like Trish Bigger's side of things, I'm sure obviously that art department produced a lot of things, but I don't remember specifically. It was like her you know specifically giving us designs for those guards because then they evolved so much in the cg process of building them and and developing those characters and everything it was one of those things that i don't you know we didn't we didn't get direction from her let's put it that way george was always the one ultimately giving us his his vision for what he wanted to see um for those characters that also especially the ones that were purely cg characters like grievous and and the guards i mean you know we had some we had some crazy designs for jar jar especially i think now in thinking about episode two he had this one suit with like he had this sort of because he became more like a senatorial character right and so he had more big heavy robes and he had this one thing with like tons of tassels on it and we could we was at the point it was that thing where you're like down to the wire going i don't know if we're actually going to be able to do this and it might not have to be in the movie and that's one of those things where it's like the last thing that you want to do is have to tell a director that you're not able to do the thing that they've asked you to do you know that it's not just simply that it's expensive or difficult but it's impossible like that's something and to date I've, we've come a couple times close to it uh that and those those movies were like two things in particular the uh the tassels on one of jar jar's outfits and the um the bracelets on poggle the poggle the uh -huh. lesser um those were two things that were just complex enough to figure out that we were just at the point where we thought i don't know that we're going to be able to do this and in the last minute, uh, you know, James Tooley, again, being such a genius, just we just figured out that one thing that kind of made it all work. And so we were able to kind of push ahead and we're like, pull our feet from the fire and go, okay, I think we could do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what was it like after ILM and the project you've been working on since? Is there anything that you've been the most proud of or anything as you move forward through your career that uh, you've really held on to? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, you know, I, I got to this point at ILM where, where the industry was changing without doubt and it's changed, it's kept changing. It sort of transformed in terms of, in terms of how it's organized and, you know, ILM, 
you know, when you talk about ILM today, it's like, you know, ILM San Francisco versus ILM Vancouver versus ILM Singapore versus ILM London, which are all, they're both exciting things. I was, you know, but they, they're being driven by economic forces that have also made it, you know, harder to find stability in, in life and in work and those kinds of things. And um, I could sense those changes were coming uh, back then. And I was starting to feel like, okay, I could, I'd like to stay. You know, there's a lot of amazing things about ILM. ILM always is working on these incredible projects and, and amazing people. But I was like, I feel like I want to see what's out there. I want to see what else is, is going on out there in the world. So I left, and honestly, I, I, you know, I drifted for a bit. I, I, I also was feeling a little bit, um, the whole process of doing cloth sim and clothing and hair and all that stuff, it was, at the time, again, it felt like, okay, this, I don't know, it was difficult to know where the, where the future of that would la- right. lead, as it were. And so I was like, I want to I step out of that. I want to go into more kind of a different, different area. I did lighting. I did, and so I drifted around a bit. I did, um, I worked at, uh, briefly at Lucasfilm Animation, on what was then, well, it was called Primrose. No, it wasn't called Primrose. I can't remember what it was called, but it became Strange Strange Magic Magic, six or seven years later, 10, I don't know. It was was many years later that that it came out, 10 years later. I worked on that in 2006. And I worked at uh, Double Negative on a few things back in London, and then I went back to LA. And I just, I sort of did this uh, tour of, of, of a lot of different places trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And then eventually I landed back at, at Framestore in London um, and they asked me if I would uh, help build um, the spacesuits on, on gravity. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I, was, I was nervous because uh, Alfonso Cuaron, I know how demanding he is and right. how, how particular he is. But I did think to myself, well, a spacesuit, it can't, I mean, how hard could this be? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer is, extremely bloody hard um <laughs> and and that was a movie where we started to really at least in my one of the first projects of frame store where we really used uh, pattern making techniques to build pieces of the costumes and and all that and obviously it was one of those movies that obviously it, it you know it, it it has the significance that it has and that was that was very exciting to be a part of it and then i got to work on paddington uh, at Framestore, and that kind of got me back into character work, which was something I realized that I hadn't really done since ILM, was character, you know, I mean, obviously the spacesuits was a, is a character, but when you do character like animation work and you're involved in, in that, you're used to the focus shifts, right. and it becomes more about performance, and, you know, there's a slightly more artistic bent maybe added to, to the whole thing, um, and I realized I really loved doing that, and that was that was an incredibly challenging project at Paddington but I really I really really loved doing that one um and then and then at that particular point in my life again the industry had sort of transformed completely between when I'd left ILM and, and when I did Paddington in terms again of, of the companies going all over the world and just very again the economic forces driving those things and the kind of expect you know just the kind of hours you have to work and, and all this stuff which was always challenging but you get to that point where you go, I love this, but at the point at which it's, uh, you go, well, how sustainable is this? And I need to take care of my health and I want to have a family and I want to, you know, you, you start to have to kind of make, maybe make other choices basically or go, can I, how sustainable can I, is this? And what can I, uh, how can I do this and not, and not kill myself basically? Right. Yeah. And, and my wife and I decided to move to Spain, um, which is where my family's from. And I kind of I ended up working at 
at an animation studio in in Madrid, uh, working on a few animated features, which is basically what I've what I've been doing for the last four and a half years. Just focus very much on characters, character development, character, uh, a lot of the cloth and the hair and all that stuff that I've been doing for for twenty odd years now. Yeah, that's great. Are there any projects or anything, either visual effects or non-visual effects, uh, that you're excited about or that you're excited for people to, to finally see? Well, I worked, I mean, animated features just take a really, really long time. That's the one massive difference between visual effects and, and animated features. Right. Um, so so the development time is a, takes a lot, lot longer than, than, than not. So I worked on this movie called Wonder Park that came out yeah. uh, in, this year, about 2019, earlier in the year. And you know it's a it's a I think it's a cute animated feature. Um, I think it 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 really um, I'm really proud of 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 the work that we did there because that was that was definitely taking like one of the great things about that. The, one of the one of the things that kind of awoke the spirit of episode two for me was the fact that um, you know that it was apart from myself uh, having the experience I had. I essentially had a team who had. A, some key people had experience in this, but the vast majority of them, this was like literally their first production. Wow. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of them were straight out of school or they, you know, they had, they'd been working for a couple of years in another area and they were like, well, I'll try this out, this, this cloth sim, hair sim, you know, grooming thing. And, um, and they, and so it was literally, it was kind of that, that energy and enthusiasm of a group of people who, even if this, you know, the work, the work isn't in its in and of itself as revolutionary as it was 20 years ago, but for 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 all of them, it's new, and so they're getting to discover it for the first time, and 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 getting to to kind of lead them in that process, and that was and that spirit and energy and enthusiasm kind of um, kind of brought back a bit of the spirit of episode two that I remember so so fondly, and so that was uh, yeah. that was really satisfying, and we did that for a few years, and now I'm on another feature, but honestly, I you know it's it's got to it won't be coming out for a couple of years <laughs> yeah. at least. So, yeah. Um, uh, and, but there's some super challenging things. We're doing some crazy, crazy things with, with hair in that character on the, you know, that, that are super ambitious and that really could, you know, that's where you do go to go, Oh, this could actually be, you know, people might look at this and go, Oh, this is, this really is new, you know? And so that, right. so I'm excited for that. That's so great. But, uh, but we're still in the, we're still in the, I'm, I know we could do this, but I don't know, I don't know exactly how it's all going to work kind of thing at stage. I love it. Um, well, uh, well, Mr. Sanchez, thank you so much for, for taking the time and talking to us and just kind of getting into that yeah. nitty gritty of, of how the prequels were built and made. And, and I, I loved it. So uh, thank you for, for coming yeah. on the show finally. This is great. Yeah, I, I'm sorry if I, I know I talk a lot. I hope uh, no, I haven't taken up too much of your <laughs> no 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 worries at all this is it is uh it is uh 6 a.m 7 a.m now over here so it was the perfect way for me to start my day <laughs> well keep up the i do you know your i really do like your podcast i like anyway i, I cool how you're you, you've got such a i've listened you know, you know all the novels and all the stuff and all these all the eu things which i kind of didn't get into as much and right. but i i do i love that you're uh you're very catholic in your you know <laughs> the, how you, you like all this stuff that's yeah, a, that's like a big compliment. Thank you. Keep it up.
Thank you again to Mr. Sanchez for the time, patience, and stories. I loved hearing about this part of ILM's history, as well as Mr. Sanchez's love for storytelling and for Star Wars. For more information about his work, both visual effects and not, head to JuanLuis.com or follow him on Twitter at says. Next week, we're talking to Gold Leader. So until then, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the Force be with you.